Let the church say amen while the choir is being seated. Let's give God praise today. Come on. Thank God for how the Lord is using our young people. Would you say amen? Yeah, yeah I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was, but uh, when I was in this choir, uh, it was the first time I'd ever been to Cleveland. And uh, I wish I could tell a nice love story right now, how I saw my wife sitting in the balcony. and It didn't happen like that, though. But it did happen on the grounds of Pine Forge Academy, I'll tell you that. Um... Thanks, thanks, Reggie. I appreciate that. <laughs> you feel me, don't you, brother? <laughs> Nobody else clapped except you. I mean, if I can get an amen, I'm going to get it from Reggie. Praise the Lord. Um, let me just first say, uh, one of our Pine Forge uh, graduates, uh, Raymond Poole, uh, there will be a special benefit concert for Raymond uh, next week. And that benefit concert will start at 6 o'clock here at the church. Most of you know by now. Um, Raymond uh, has had an ordeal that most of us uh, would not display the kind of uh, encouragement and, well, let me just say like this, the brother has cancer and I've never heard him complain, never. (laughs) And it's almost like a straight diss to most of us who complain about less. You complaining about your job, and you got a brother right here who has a very difficult ordeal that he's dealing with, and he's just as faithful as ever, and we just thank God. So we're going to come here next week, and we're going to raise some money for him so that he can continue to get these treatments. Would you say amen? amen. Yeah, let's give God praise for that in advance. Yeah. And uh, on... On tonight, we are coming for uh, the same purposes. Obviously, we are not just bringing Pine Forge here uh, just, just to bring them to sing. The foundation has brought them here in an attempt to raise funds for our institution. Would you say amen? amen. So I hope that didn't scare you from coming to the concert. Uh, but I understand Take Six is in concert tonight. And uh, some folk are paying $45 for the tickets. I got them in my hand right now, so uh, I didn't pay for mine. The Lord blessed me, and I, and I, I probably will not make it there. Uh, but they'll go and pay $45. They'll pay $45 after you graduate, unfortunately. The truth is they ought to be paying $45 now while you're in school. <laughs> Amen. 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 Um, your accommodations were good last night? Everybody was good? Comfortable? Amen. The truth is, these kids will not lie. Uh, I remember at times where they would ask us that question, there'd be no response. Um, so we thank God for that. Uh, just glad to have them here. How many of you took the kids in last night? Just put your hand in the air. We thank God for you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. And so without further ado, I invite you to stand. Let's go right to the word. Uh, Don't want to waste any more time. Uh, Although Pine Forge is here, uh, that's the only thing special going on today. We're still in our series on what did Jesus do. Would you say amen? Amen. How many have been blessed by the fast? Thank God. There are only, only, uh, what, seven days? No, no, less than that. How many? Oh, five, five, pastor, five. Not seven, five. 
James Davis is the main one. Five, five, five. Five days left in the fast. And I mean, no, 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 let me be honest with you. I know that when this fast is over, many of us are going to be challenged to go back to the same rut we started before we started the fast. I'm a little, I'm a little sad that the fast is leaving because I know that God answered prayers during this fast that he wasn't answering before you started fasting. Can I get a witness in here? I'm hearing testimony after testimony. I'm seeing face after face in this sanctuary that was not here before this that got prayed in here. And so I don't want you all at all to forget what God has done during this time and go ballistic and binge on a corned beef sandwich and a bunch of movies. Don't lose everything you gained in these 40 days in four hours after the fast is over. See, I won't get a chance to tell you that this Wednesday I will not be here, but I'm telling y'all, preserve what God has been doing in your life over these 40 days, amen? Don't stop studying the word. Don't stop praying. Stay with this thing. This is what gets answers from God. How many came in here desperate today? How many came in here desperate for a move of God today? You ain't here to look cute, but you came in here because you want God to do something. Bless his name. Good to see you here today, Pastor uh, Donald Bedney, who is the uh, secretary of Lake Region Conference, and his wife, Elinda. Um, I stayed at their house a bunch of times when I was working on my doctorate, and most of y'all know who they are. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and get right to the word. Uh, Matthew 19, 1 through 13. Uh, somebody just, you know, play a little bit or get, get under me. Uh, yes, stay right there. Yes, indeed. All right, Matthew 9, right? Is that what I said? Matthew 9, and uh, we're going to start at verse 1 and go through verse 13. I know that's a lot of Bible, but uh, I'm assuming that you came here for that reason. All right. I'm getting some text. Now, y'all know why I get text, right? I told you that last time. Uh, my young people, I told them they could text me while I'm preaching if they had a question on my sermon. Only problem is the sound people are supposed to have my phone, and I got it today. So hold your questions until after the service. Amen. <laughs> the Bible says, verse 1, Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw, whose faith, everybody? Jesus saw their faith. Oh, I'm so excited about this one today. Yes, indeed. Yes, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Mm. Whoever said, wow, you felt, you felt that. At three, the Bible says at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. They're not excited about what happened. They're mad. Bible says, knowing their thoughts, <laughs> knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Now watch this. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then, he's showing off now. Then he said to, uh, to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. By the way, let me just tell you, uh, now, the only reason why I read it in this, and 
in, in, in Matthew. The same stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will come to discover that four friends didn't just bring him quietly to Jesus after the service. The Bible says they tried to get to Jesus. They could not. And so they tore the roof open in somebody's house just to get homeboy to Jesus. <laughs> uh, take up your mat and go home. And go home. And go home. Somebody say, go home. He didn't say go to church. He said, take your mat and go home first. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they did what, everybody? They praised God who had given such authority to men. Verse 9, Jesus went on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him, just like that. The Bible says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Luke tells you that Matthew actually invited him over to his house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. That him is Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees, now here they go again. When the Pharisees, here they go again. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. Uh, yeah. But the sick. But, ooh, now this is, this, is, this, this is the part that got me. Anytime Jesus, you know, makes you take note of his own sermon. I, my assumption is if Jesus is talking, you ought to take note of everything he's saying, right? But he's now saying, no, I want you to pay attention to this point in particular. He says here, and this is really what I want to preach on today. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Why don't you just lift your hands right where you stand. Father, we, we come because we're sick. We've dressed up our sickness with nice clothes, with lying tongues with our status, our jobs, our position, our reputation, our family name. But the truth is, most of us cannot cover our mess. It leaks. And it cries out to you saying, we need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. Bless us now. 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 Bless us now, our Savior. We come to thee. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen. and amen. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, I want to talk today a little bit on the subject, desiring the despicable. Desiring the despicable. And uh, the big idea, the main point of my message today is this. Uh, true religion is extending mercy, not extinguishing sinners. True religion, say that with me, true religion is extending mercy and not extinguishing sinners. In other words, what I want to kind of share with you today, so glad you guys are here. Hope you, hopefully, you, if you can learn this now, you won't grow up and be as crazy as we are. But be honest, because I went to Pine Forge, being a, a spiritual snob and being bougie starts right here. 
I started off bougie and snobbish at a school where I was blessed with so much. But the Lord had to, he had to lay me down. All right, and, and you're looking at a man who is post gotten his behind whooped by God. Because spiritual arrogance and self-righteousness, God cannot stand. He despises it. But if, there's, if there is any such disease that plagues the church the most, it is self-righteousness and spiritual arrogance. Uh, Ellen White actually says that of, of, of any spiritual malady that is incurable, somebody say incurable. She said pride and self-righteousness is almost incurable. Difficulty with this is, hear me now, most of us are self-righteousness. Have have, uh, most of us are plagued with self-righteousness and most of us are proud. Yeah, we're in a dangerous position. That's what I'm saying. Revelation 3, as we looked at last week, says that most of us declare that we are increased with goods, we don't have need of anything. We're spiritually straight. The problem is, Pastor, those people out there, we need to go and win them. They need to be saved. Those homosexuals and, and, those, and those racists and those club goers and, 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 and those pedophiles and the murderers and the alcoholics and the drug addicts, they need the Lord. You are no more safe in this building than somebody who's outside it. I told you before, just because you're in a church, it no more makes you a Christian than if you are a, a, a car that sits in a garage. If you stand in a garage, you ain't a car. How many know that? And just because you sit in a church does not make you a Christian. And so I want to talk today about what true religion is. Uh, look here at the text. Uh, I want, uh, you know, Jesus has been blowing our minds. Did he not bless you last week with that word? Uh, about how Jesus deals with even demonic forces. And, and, and so the reputation of our Lord now uh, amongst those in Galilee. We told you Galilee is about 4 million people. This is where Jesus decides to set up his ministry, where there are people. And not, just, and not, and not people that most of us would feel comfortable with. He set himself up in the crossroads of the world where people come from, from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and lifestyle. That's where he said he's going. He said, I'm going to set up my stuff here. So now Jesus is doing things, and people are blown away. He heals a man who is demon-possessed in church on Sabbath. And so you got to know now, there's no email, there's no text messages, there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, but there's word of mouth. And I, I, I appreciate Twitter and Facebook, but at the end of the day, if, 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 if you want to get the word out, word of mouth gets the word out. And people are talking. There's a buzz out that there's a guy named Jesus. We don't know where he came from. We're assuming that he's a religious leader, but they find out he's uneducated. They find out that he's been living with his mother until he's 30 years old. They find out that he's a carpenter. He's a blue-collar guy. He doesn't have a Ph.D. He doesn't have a 5,000-member church. He doesn't have a pulpit. He doesn't have an armor-bearer. He doesn't have a choir. He doesn't have a praise team. At this point in his ministry, he only has four disciples and four of them are fishermen. So, now, so he's even intentionally not even surrounding himself with the quote-unquote spiritual elite. And some, of us, and some of us in church sometimes feel, nobody here, but I've been to churches that where people feel like you need them in order to survive. I told you about that time I was pastoring the church and, and some folk didn't like the direction we were taking. Uh, it, it, it was not a comfortable position. We said, yo, we want our church to be a church where anybody can come in here on any given Sabbath from any way of life. 
And I had some people who actually took issue with that. They said, we're going to take our money from the church. And God don't need you. And, and the church don't need your money. You don't have any money. Keep that stinking money. And watch the work of God go forward anyway. God does not need you. And some people feel like the church needs them. The word of God teaches us that Jesus does not surround himself with pious, self-righteous people. But instead, he goes to the gutters and gets cussing, cussing Peter, gets his brother James. And the Bible says these two cats, James and John, are the sons of thunder. These dudes are known for causing problems. Now, up until this point, Jesus has, has done things that the crowd likes. But notice now, we've got to follow Jesus. Jesus is very tactical in everything he does. Every person he healed, he healed them tactically because he was trying to make a point about his mission. Somebody say his mission. And so watch this now. From a demon-possessed man, people are like, whoa, that's phenomenal. Then his next miracle is that he heals a leper. Now, the Pharisees weren't really bothering him then, but now that he's starting to infringe on the traditions of the church. You don't heal lepers. I mean, the equivalent of a leper today is a homosexual who has AIDS. They had that. As a matter of fact, they, they, uh, the, the term they use for them is they had the stroke of God. As a matter of fact, even the law says that if you came near them, they had to cry unclean. And so when Jesus shows up, he's not stepping off saying unclean. The Bible says that he walks up to this leper, wraps his arms around him, and says, be clean. And so they're mad now. Church folk don't, uh, wait, wait, what is he doing? We don't understand. We don't, this, this is not following the tradition of the elders. And so by now, Desire of Ages says, all the Pharisees have, have, have joined together from Jerusalem, Galilee, and all over. In other words, there are 6,000 Pharisees, so to speak, according to most scholars, in Palestine during this time. 6,000. So let's just suggest that 1,000 Pharisees, paparazzi, are following Jesus. You know how the Bible says that the crowd would always follow Jesus? you got to know that a lot of those individuals that were following Jesus were not necessarily supporters of Jesus. A lot of them were Pharisees trying to figure out what he's doing. So they're in the bushes. They're in the bushes while on Sabbath. And they see some of his disciples getting something to eat. And they're like, they, they, got, their, they got their phone out. They're taking pictures. They're posting it on Facebook. But Jesus is not trying to alter his methods. He knows they're watching him. He knows they're trying to check him out. But notice this now. When, let me, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. When God, when God gives you a mission and a responsibility, you got to be obedient to God. Do not lick your finger and put it in the air and try to figure out which way the wind is blowing. Do not look for public opinion. Do not look for people to always support you. Don't get mad when people don't understand what you're doing. you got to be obedient to what God said. And most of the time, somebody say most of the time, most of the time when God calls you, the ministry that he gives will ruffle feathers. Jesus shows up and, and the whole church, y'all not hearing this thing today. 
The whole church is trying to kill him. Now, this is my interpretation, but I feel I'm right. Jesus did not dress up when he went to church. That was the custom of the elders. The Bible teaches us that they walked around in long robes. Trying to be seen. Trying to look dignified. Because some, that someone told them, false teaching, that when you come to God, you've got to bring your, your best. Where is that in the Bible? How in the world can you bring your best? You don't got no best. Your clothes do not cover you up from what God sees. What does this do? Does this look, make you look more spiritual? He's got a necktie on now. Now God will receive him. Being dressed up, dressed down, having your hair combed does not, it does not trigger any response from God. That is the tradition of the elders. Somebody told you that. But see, the false doctrine behind that, hear me now, and this is what these Pharisees were teaching, is that you got to bring your best to God. Hear me now, you got no best. Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. And so notice now, he's trying to deal with a church culture that is so anti-biblical that when he starts doing what the church was intended to do in the first place, they think he's wrong and they're right. And I've often asked, if anybody ever asked this question, what if Jesus showed up today? Where would he be? What would he do? Who would he associate himself with? Well, the Bible says his next move is he's in somebody's house. Now, some scholars suggest that he's in his own house because the Bible says he lives in Capernaum. So let's just, let's just surmise that after Jesus heals this leper, now you're talking about, let's say 5,000 are following him. You've got 10,000 people now everywhere Jesus is going. They're trying to get the next hookup. They're trying to get the next miracle. Can y'all see this thing now? The swarm, the noise. I mean, I see moms dragging their children. People are knocking one another down just to get to Jesus. And all the while, the disciples trying to play spiritual armor-bearing bodyguard. Y'all stand back. Y'all remember, there's some children trying to get to Jesus. And he said, y'all kids, get back from here. So they're all trying to protect Jesus from his mission. The Pharisees are trying to prevent Jesus from his mission. You missed that. The church, the disciples, are trying to protect him from his mission and uh, fear. And the Pharisees are trying to prevent his mission. Are y'all in here today? Well, the Bible says he's standing in the house and he's, he's preaching in the house. He's not caught up in a building. He's not caught up in a church. He's not walking around, oh, how holy the place is. Oh, how beautiful the lights. Oh, shut up. I told y'all. that. Listen, man, let me tell you something. Watch him now. Watch your Savior. Y'all are way too plush to be followers of Christ. You're too cool to be followers of Christ. You're too suburban to be followers of Christ. 
And listen, I have nothing against. I came up, my mom is a lawyer and my dad is a pastor. I tell people all the time, I grew up, I didn't grow up in the ghetto, but the, thank God the ghetto grew up in my house. I thank God that it gave me a different perspective. I am not coming against individuals from privilege who use correct English. I thank God I was taught that. But sometimes our socioeconomic status can prevent us from remembering what we've been called to do. And so he's in a house. The Bible says that, that people can't even get in because there's just so, I mean, it's just buck wild, the buzz, people are all around, people trying to get near Jesus. Well, somehow the Pharisees got the closest to him. And the Bible says Jesus is in there teaching, but Jesus knows what's about to happen. Four friends, four friends, they're sitting there talking with their buddy. He's a paralytic. And he's at a point now where he's been hearing about what Jesus has been doing. Now, paralytics are not allowed to go to church because they have a disease. And if you have a disease like that, you're not allowed to come to church. He hadn't been to the synagogue so long as he's been sick. So he's never heard a word in a long time. He's never felt the touch of compassion in a long time. The only thing he's got is his friends. So what are his friends do? His friends said, listen, man, it's a risk. I understand it's like 10,000 people following him wherever he's going. Let's just try some. Let's just go out there and let's see what happens. And the man probably saying, it can't happen for me. I'm just going to die this way. They said, man, let's at least try. The Bible says after they argued for a while that the four friends said, man, just get up and go. They picked him up and they start hitting. Bible says by the time they got to the house, there were so many people around, but they said, but maybe they'll see his condition and they'll let him in. Talking about church folk now. Maybe they'll see his condition and let him in. So as soon as they see his condition, they say, you ain't supposed to even be here. Go on the other side. Maybe somebody else will let in. So they go to another side. Nobody lets him in on this side. They try. I can imagine maybe for an hour or so trying to get to Jesus. Saints wouldn't let him in. So they said, bump this. Let's leave. We tried. And so homeboy now on the mat is like, man, I came too far. <laughs> I can see one of the four saying, uh, this, is a, this is, I was going to throw this out here. <laughs> Y'all know when folks say that, it's about to be crazy. Y'all, I'm just going to throw this out here. Um, but um, <clears throat> you see those stairs on the side of that house? And I said, boy, you crazy. Boy, I know you ain't about to say what I think you're about to say. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out, man. Listen, this brother needs to get to the Lord. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, man, let's climb up on that roof. Uh-huh. What? We, we'll wait up there until everybody leaves and then get you. Well, I, I was thinking about something a little bit more immediate. Uh, see, what, what I didn't tell y'all is you know, I brought this shovel. <laughs> and see, I figured that this was going to be the case. Let's go up on this roof. Let's dig the roof out. And let's drop him in the midst. Now, <clears throat> some scholars have tried to like say, well, in Palestine during that time, the roofs were soft and made of mud. I don't, listen, I don't care what the roof was made of. Dude, I don't, listen, black folk, white folk, you can't go up in nobody's house and tear it up. 
People tell me I'm going to tear somebody's roof up to give them to Jesus. Come to my house and, and, see, and see, see what our response will be. Come on, say amen, somebody. <laughs> Bible says that they climbed on the roof, tore it up. Long short of the story, they dropped them down in front of Jesus. Watch this. The Pharisees are like, uh, all right. I've not seen this one before. <laughs> and the first thing Jesus says to the guy is not get up and walk. He's like, your sins are forgiven. Okay, hold on. Hold on now. By this time, the Pharisees have gone from zero to 60 in about two seconds. And somebody leaps up in the middle of the crowd and says, who gave you authority? Now, ain't nobody tripping that you're going around healing folk, but you have gone too far now. Only God can forgive sins. Oh, he said, you think that's something? He said, what's easier, for me to tell him his sins are forgiven or for me to tell him to get up and pick, take up his mat and walk? He said, watch this. Now, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Now, now, so watch this. Watch this. I'm just trying to set up the context for this here. All right? Just trying to set the context. So Jesus is straight up offending the church. And I'm just amazed now. The church folk are upset when people get delivered. I'm just so convinced. And listen, I've come a long way. I, I mean, y'all wouldn't have wanted to see me here uh, some years ago because I was real rigid. Real rigid, you know. It's got to be this way, you know. Can't do this, can't do that. Always got my eye on what somebody else is doing. Easily offended by everything. Wait until some stuff break off in your personal life. Wait, wait, until, wait until you fall on your face like I did. And you have to ask God for forgiveness because you have a pornography problem. You ain't going to be running around trying to put fires out and people spiritualize after that. So the church folk, for crying God, God help me here. Church people. And God bless you guys, because if y'all keep watching us, you're going to be jacked up. Y'all better get in the word now. Serious. Get in the, get in the word now. Get in the word now. So the, the Pharisees are, are livid. But Jesus, he keep turning it up. Hell, he, uh, he, I mean, I can see him now. Man, the disciples said, Jesus, man, you got to slow down, man. You're offending the folk. You need their help. Jesus said, watch this now. The Bible says, now while Jesus is preaching, if you read the text carefully, the Bible says that when Jesus preaches, he preaches in, in an unorthodox places. The Bible says on this occasion, Jesus is preaching as he's walking <laughs> by the Sea of Galilee. He don't need a pulpit. He's, he, he's walking and people are listening. And he's, and he's looking at the sparrows and, and he's looking at uh, nature and, and he's picking out these things and he's teaching the people. Now watch this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This is where I am now. Let me get a glass of water because I'm about to go to 100. So watch this now. Then Jesus does this. While he's preaching, he suddenly stops in the middle of his message. Under the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says that his eyes zero in on somebody not even in the crowd. Move. 
you move. I can see, I can see a crowd opening up like the Red Sea. And the Bible says that Jesus takes note of a guy named Levi Matthew. Can I tell this thing, y'all? Please, let me just lay this thing out as best I can. Understand now that Matthew is a tax collector. Now, see, that doesn't bother Now, most of us in here hate the IRS. Come on, say amen. We got, we got folk in here who work for the IRS, so you can't hate everybody in there. Amen. But see, in those days, it was much different. See, well, for example, anytime you pay tax, you take out your, your debit card, and you swipe it, or you pay cash, and the tax is taken at the register. So you never really have to face the IRS directly. You never really get to see the people face to face. But see, in those days, the Romans who had control over the Israelites were a constant reminder that they were no longer the chosen people that they thought they were. And these Romans would take taxes from them, but this is how they would do it. They would set up human toll booths everywhere. Anybody ever been through a toll booth? I don't, I don't know. We, we have me on the house. You go through a toll booth. You throw your money in. You give your money to somebody. But in those days, there were no toll booths. There were people everywhere. And generally, they were Romans. But in some cases, they would be, there would be Jews who would be taking taxes from their own people. Uh, scholars suggest that if you were a tax collector or a publican, watch this now, that you were considered to be the worst of sinners. They saw a tax collector worse than they saw an adulterer, worse than they saw a, a, a murderer. A tax collector was considered to be the rankest of the rank. Now, let me tell you why. Because they had so much national pride as being Jews, a tax collector was a spit and a smack in the face, especially if they were a Jew and they were financially raping their own people. There were two kinds of tax collectors in those days. Uh, the first kind of tax collector was the goodbye. Stay with me. The goodbye were the big shots who you never saw. Then there were the mo the mokes somebody say mokes uh, the mokes were the human toll booths there were two kinds of, of those people there were the ones who sat in the offices and then there were ones who were everywhere you went now watch this now i want you to see this picture so you got matthew he's a tax collector he's not an office guy he's a frontline guy and he's a jew now what you just missed is his name is Levi Matthew. So we know not only is he a Jew, but more than likely, he's a former preacher. Are y'all still with me in here today? What happened to his ministry? I don't know. Maybe it was a woman. Maybe it was money. Maybe he killed somebody. Maybe he brought open shame on his family. But whatever happened, he lost his ministry, and now he's at a place where he's so desperate to take care of his family that he takes a job that he knows is going to isolate him, not only from his family, but from the church. 
Some of you guys, when you got caught up in your mess, it was because of desperation. You felt pushed out. You felt no love. You felt, and I'm going to tell you right now, everybody that leaves the church does not leave just because they're looking for sin. Some people leave because we kick them out. And we may not kick them out with a vote. We may not kick them out with a decision. But our, but our Lord Jesus, but the way, but our culture in the church, our looks, our smirks, our lack of love, our, our disinterest, our indifference help us, God, today. And so this former, y'all with me here, this former preacher now, just to feed his family, he has to take a job that he knows will keep him from his own people. As a matter of fact, they told a publican that if you became a publican and you were a Jew, you could not be saved. They even told their people that if there's anybody that's all right to lie to, it's the IRS. Oh, excuse me, all the publicans. Said God will vindicate you if you lie to a tax collector. A tax collector was considered to be the worst of sinners. What am I trying to say to you today? That Jesus now is showing them what his ministry is about. His ministry is about going after the worst of the worst. And oh, now notice now, all these people are around him, but he only senses a real desire for relationship with him from the worst sinner in the crowd. Do you know what it feels like to be isolated? Is there anybody in here today? Who has ever felt shame and guilt on such a level where you were like, I can't even, I can't even pray because I don't want to look my God in the face. Do you know what it feels like when you're praying and you don't even think your prayers are being heard because you think God has forgotten about you? I can imagine that Matthew may have wet his pillow at night with tears because he knew now that he had no hope. He was lost. And every time, every time somebody came by his way and he had to assess the tax from them, they looked at him with disgust. Some spit in his face. Some looked at him with ill repute. Some said, you're lost and you'll never be saved. Some have said you'll go, you're too far gone. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody here today who can get past, who can get past the facade of trying to look holy? And is there anybody who has been in a place where you are solo? This dude was so low that his own mama and daddy had forsaken him. And we know that the only friends he has are the same sinners and quote-unquote scum that he was. The Bible says that Jesus looks through the crowd. Oh, I thank God for that moment. I don't know if anybody can remember when you felt the grace of God. When you had done some stuff. When you had broken some stuff. When you had sinned against God. When you had sinned against family, 
when you had made decisions that altered your life. Some of you right now are living with the guilt and the regret of stuff you did years ago. But I'm going to tell you right now, when you get the look from Jesus, the Greek word, the Greek word there, the Bible says that he noticed him. Oh, man. When you go every day of your life and nobody pays your attention, nobody minds you, nobody acknowledges you, nobody says they love you. His whole life was based on hatred. And in one moment, God, Jesus, Jesus looks at him and, and he says, follow me. Dude, he had to step back. Me? Man, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did. Get your self-righteous head together in here, saints. When he looked at you. And notice now, he wasn't just seeking to heal. Or for, now remember, just before he healed the paralytic. He did not call the paralytic to be his disciple. He just healed him. Oh, y'all, y'all better hear this. He asked the worst person in the world not just to give their life to God. He said, come be a preacher. Again. Who are we <laughs> to determine whether somebody gets a second chance? Whether somebody can, be, can preach the word of God. Whether somebody can sing to the glory of his name. Whether somebody can witness or pass out a track. When you know what they did before, shut your mouth. He called me. Look, look now. The word of God says that this brother is wasted by this. Hear me. Sir. You know what this sermon is about today? Mercy. Bible says, I, I can see tears in his eyes. He is so floored by the love of God. And let me point out here, there are some people who will never listen to me, saints of God. I ain't coming to holler and get you shouting and rolling over today. I'm coming to change your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit to see what you're not doing so that you can start doing what God called you to do. Notice, Matthew did not get saved in church on Sabbath when an appeal was made. We're always like, come to us. Come to our revival. Come hear my pastor. Come to prayer meeting. Pastor, they just won't come. I just can't get anybody to come. Go to them! place is not magic. There are certain people that will, and notice now, generally these certain people are people that are going to make major impact on the church. I'm telling you, and, and the Lord has already shown me this. He said, I told y'all this a couple weeks, uh, last Sabbath. Oh, thank you, God. I don't consider myself a prophet, but this will come to pass. You better hear this. He said, the people that are going to take Glenville 
to where it belongs are not in here. They're not here. Some of them are here. Well, hear me now. Oh, y'all, y'all don't want to hear receive that word. Myself included. Listen, I'm not saying that we're not going to be a part of what God's going to do. But I'm telling you now, the Matthews, the tax collectors, the Peters, the James, and the Johns, they did not get saved in the synagogue. Somebody had to go where they were. So watch this. Your boy Matthew is so blown away that Jesus would tell him, not just you're forgiven, but I see leadership in you. Let me tell you something. Jesus does not see us as we are. (laughs) He sees us as we shall be. Us, we see people not as they are, but as they were. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fred Fred will be good for that. Uh, Nominating committee. Yeah, Fred will be good for that. And listen, I'm not saying that we should not consider where people are spiritually. I'm just saying that most of us do not desire the despicable. Yeah, Fred, Fred will do good. He, he runs a good business, and uh, we like Fred. Fred dresses well. And, uh, but you know, some years back, Fred, Fred was not faithful in tithe and offering. Fred had a couple of affairs, just supposing. Yeah, Fred, Fred, you know, Fred used to get high. I think Fred stole some money from the church. Yeah, uh, uh, let's, let's give him a year or two. This is what I'm saying, because some of you are already confused. So what, we just let anybody up front? Well, let me, let me tell you something. No. But the place of action is not here. So what does he do? What's he do? And I'll write this down. This is the point. Write this thing down. Okay, watch this. This is going to rock your socks. You call people to what you have been called to. Watch this, please. You invite people you tell people, you, you, you encourage people to come to what you have received. Now, it, it hit me. You know why we are so legalistic? And why when people join our church, they become just as legalistic as we are? Because most of us, many of us, have never really come to Jesus. We came to Adventism. And so the only thing you know to do is you only know to invite people to take this lesson on the Sabbath. Take this lesson on the Mark of the Beast. Take this lesson on the State of the Dead. I saw him smoking. Come to the non-smoking uh, uh, seminar. Come. So you only know to invite people into what you have received. What did Matthew do? Matthew did not say to his friends... Man, I don't feel comfortable bringing y'all to my church. I don't want you to meet 
my God, because y'all wouldn't be able to handle it. His initial reaction is this. He don't need 12 steps. He don't need a seminar. He don't got to go to camp meeting with somebody to show him how to do it. See, when you have been called into grace and into mercy, you don't, you, you, your natural response is, come and get what I have. So what did, he bring, what did he bring his friends to? And the Bible says he had all kind of people. The Bible says there were tax collectors and sinners. The Bible got general just to let you know there were prostitutes. Come on, somebody. There was adulterers. There were murderers. The only friends you have when you get rejected by the church are crazy folk who are out in the world. But some of the realest people. Come on in here, somebody. Folks that ain't going to cut corners and, and sugarcoat, but who going to shoot straight and keep it real and, and not, 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 not try to smooth over stuff are people who don't know the Lord. Hot or cold. Word of God says he gathered all of his friends. And guess what? They actually came. But they did not come to his church. They came to his. Y'all not getting this thing. Only those, only those that are, have a mind full of hope to hear what the Spirit is saying. Go get this one today. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Everybody ain't going to get this one. He, he said, come in my house. So the Bible says he throws this big party for Jesus. And, and let's be honest, this is his first spiritual outing. This is his first spiritual gathering. I, I'm, I would not doubt that there, there was some stuff there that normally you church people would not have been comfortable with. As soon as Jesus walks up to Matthew's house, dude's out there smoking the blunt. And they don't know who Jesus is. Dude got a bottle. He's standing out there getting his drink on. Come on in here, somebody. See, I respect Matthew. I know he's changed his life, but I still got to do my thing. Come on in here, somebody. Prostitute standing out there. Her clothes are all revealing. But because sinners have been invited. And Jesus doesn't, when Jesus comes in, Jesus does, he's not paying that no mind. Watch out, how y'all doing? What's up, brother? Mm. And the disciples are like, <laughs> when they get inside, dudes are, dudes is playing poker. <laughs> See, y'all don't want to believe Jesus would not go to a place where people are in there doing all kinds of sin. If he wants to save them, he will. Don't, hey, Craig Long, you better tell him. Don't you tell me, Norton, you better, don't you tell me where he won't go. Beverly Pink, don't tell me he won't go to jail. Won't he? Won't he? Don't tell me where Jesus won't go. Pastor, are you saying we should go to the club? See, there y'all go again. You ain't listening. And while they're in there, Jesus, man, is hobnobbing. See, he, he, he knows how to handle himself around anybody. Some, some of y'all don't have no worldly friends, and you don't know what to do if you had one. You ever met people, see, they're, they're so unused to not being around people of the world that they feel like the first thing they should do with a worldly person is have a spiritual conversation. I don't see Jesus doing that. I, I'm Jesus talking about the game. You know, uh, hey, man, did the Jerusalem uh, 
uh, Jackals, did they win that game last week? Yeah, man, I saw, saw the game, man. Blew my mind, man. That's a fast donkey, man. Never seen anything like that before. Jesus, you're in the sports? Yeah, you know, I watch a little sports every now and then. You know, back in the day, I had, you know, I was a little fast myself. You know, see, you have to know how to work with folk. You can't come in there saying, all right, everybody, stop it. Stop, stop the music. Turn it off. Hey, 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 and these people amaze me. Have you ever gone to dinner with some of these Pharisees? And when you sit down to eat, see, the people, they typically, they don't offer grace over their food. And so folks just jump in their meal. Y'all not going to pray? Do you, if you don't pray over your food, are you going to hell? Is that what you're saying? But see, we are so conscious of wrongdoing instead of where people are. I've been preaching too long. Let me stop. Where's, where's, uh, where's uh, James Whitehead? Listen to this. I told him. Listen to this. Any approach to God that is not born of faith is not moved by a true vision of his love and is therefore a false approach based on a false conception of his character. Now hear this. I'm going to close this. I'm going to close it. Don't worry. Y'all forgot a Sabbath and this is the day where we can go and eat wherever we want. <laughs> They're like, man, you need to hurry up. I miss St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Listen. Watch this. this. This knocked my socks off. If I come to God offering works in exchange for his favor, the basic conception of God's character is wrong. Watch this. See, we've been teaching everybody you must bring God your best. Let me ask you a question. When you go into a hospital, let's say your body is oozing and saturated with cancer. Do you put on your best suit? So that when you get into the emergency room, you got to take it off anyway and put on that gown that got all your stuff exposed. And when you're in there, are you worried that the physician can see all your goodies? You know why? You just want to be healed. I've got to bring to God my best. That's not biblical. And I'm not talking about clothes. I'm talking about your attitude. If you keep bringing your best, then you're going to assume that you're better than you are. Now watch this. This is from Ty Gibson's book. I highly recommend it. A God Named Desire. Basically, the word desire is the Hebrew word hesed, from which we use the word mercy. In other words, God's name, his identity is mercy. That's who he is. Now watch this. If somebody's sleeping next to you, wake them up for I do. Because I know I ain't boring. I know that. I know that. I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I am not sitting up here in monotone. So if you're sleepy, the devil puts you to sleep and he's trying to wake you up. Jesus is trying to wake you up right now. Come on. You better do it for the pastor does. And so watch this. He says, he says, if I do this, I am attempting to relate to God on the premise that my faithfulness motivates his. See, that's what we teach people. 
Be faithful. Do the right thing. Be good. And God will do what? Bless you. But does not the Bible say his blessings fall on the just and the unjust? So, 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 so what do you mean then? Watch this. We've been telling people, if you're faithful, it will motivate God to love you and be nice to you. Well, what did Matthew do to get God to love him and bless him? Nothing! You know what motivated God? His wretchedness. You know what motivated God? His sinfulness. You know what motivated God? His filth. One of the reasons why many of us are not getting from God what God has for us is because we keep bringing our best and we don't bring our worst. Watch this now. Now here it is. James, I, I told you about this. In attempting to relate to God on the premise that my faithfulness motivates his rather than on the premise that his faithfulness motivates mine. So what did Matthew do? God was faithful to him and next thing you know, he has a house full of sinners at the feet of Jesus. He didn't need nobody to say, come on, let's go out and witness. I don't got time, man. I'm tired. Just we had been at church all day. The choir's going to sing and I ate too much. See, you don't have to motivate folk who have experienced grace. When you've been sick, you appreciate health. When you've been lied on, you appreciate the truth. When you've been forgiven, you appreciate grace. But when you've been walking around here acting like you've been well all your life, you can't appreciate nothing. In closing, the Bible says that Jesus goes to his house. They're having a good time. They're vibing with Jesus. They're feeling him. They're feeling Jesus. But then the church comes in there. Messes it up. Pharisees are like, now notice, they didn't go to Jesus. They went to the, to the church. Um, <clears throat> we, we've been minding our business. But uh, since when Jesus has been eating and drinking with sinners, is, is that what y'all are about now? The Bible says that before the disciples have a chance to respond, while Jesus is hobnobbing, he's talking, he hears what they say. Excuse me. Let me respond to what you were saying. The healthy don't need a physician. Only the sick. As a matter of fact, take note of this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I don't have any time. I don't have time. You know what that says? First, two points, and I'll close. Someone get near the organ. Two points. First one is, is there such thing as those who are not sick? No. They just didn't know they were sick. I know of people who have contracted diseases and they found out too late. They saw symptoms, but they didn't think they were that bad off. By the time the physicians found out, it was too late because they would not acknowledge initially 
their sickness. You know what Jesus is saying? All y'all sick. All y'all sick. All of, everybody in this building is sick. And there is nobody that's sicker than the other. It doesn't matter. You're all sick. Everybody sick. The problem is some of us have stopped believing that we're sick. So when we come here, we come to keep the place pure instead of trying to get pure. And then watch what Jesus says. I'm not going to put the text on the screen, don't worry. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know what he's saying? If I have to choose, some of you are not ready to receive this. I may get an email or two on this one. That's fine. A call, a conference. Jesus says, if, you, if I have to choose between you coming to church every week, Sabbath school, prayer meeting, if I have to choose between that and you ministering and extending mercy to other people, he says, I prefer mercy rather than sacrifice. Watch this. Does that mean that we should not offer sacrifice? No. What he's saying is, is if, if you're offering sacrifice and you don't extend a hand of mercy to people, then your sacrifice will not be received. Now, the rest of y'all close your ears if you're not a member of Glenville. Look, God is getting me really, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of coming to church every week and having great worship. It ain't snowing no more. And we ain't making no more excuses. Listen, it may snow again, true, so. So we just got to get used to it, right? Yeah, most of y'all are. Watch this. The Lord told me very clearly. He said, Glenville's not in the will of God. Talk to me, Father. He said, because they desire sacrifice versus mercy. He said, we have great worship. We have great service. We have great Sabbath school. We have great prayer meetings. We have all the teachings and all the studies. We offer all the sacrifices. We eat the right foods. We do all that. He said, but I got a sense that they're, on the, they're in the wrong direction. Lord told me, he said, before this year is over, I need folk in here to go get these prostitutes out here. Did you guys know in Cleveland there's slave sex trafficking going on while we're in here? Oh. You know our kids can't get a good education here? Time to move. Time to move. You realize in this city that 70% of the homes are single black females? Time to move. That means we got little boys and little girls being raised in homes where they've got no daddy, where they're under difficult circumstances. We got to go. It's time to move. tired of hearing about that church over there and all the stuff they're doing. There are some churches that love, that love mercy more than sacrifice and they don't believe what we believe. I have asked the four ministry heads in board meeting, by the next time we have board meeting, present a suggestion of what sustainable, simple ministry outside of this church that we're going to do and I'm expecting it.
I ain't hearing nothing about no tracks. We're not a pet. We got to meet needs. We got to get these little boys and these little girls out here. And some kids out here don't even know they're going to have a green and white choir robe on one day. They don't even know it. But we got to go get them. I'm going to close with this. I've told it before. I'm the only biological child out of five. All four of my brothers and sisters, we found them outside of church. And they went to Pine Forge. They went to Oakwood. See you, see Because somebody said, we can't just come up in church and read Sabbath school lessons and have a good time. We got to go get folk. It's time to study this thing. It's time to pay attention to this thing. How many were out there when somebody found you? How many of you didn't get saved in church, but it was somewhere, it was someplace else. The Lord came to you where you were. If you want to start walking in mercy and not sacrifice, stand to your feet.